Welcome to the Fustel Fit Podcast with your host, Nicola Fustel. Straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. Welcome to episode 15. Now my special guest today, Sarah Vance, I've been waiting to speak to you for so long. She was my coach when I first got into body positivity and she really helped me because she came from where I came from. She did bodybuilding, she had a similar background and being the person she is today, she's so true and authentic in everything she says. She was just a perfect fit for me for coaching and um, she has really helped me and she's definitely somebody to follow if you're not working with her yourself. Um, because she is true and authentic in everything that she says, including her own podcast. She's now has her own podcast and she says, you know, a lot of people who are in disordered eating or eating disorders, we live by a set of rules. We're black and white thinking and we have to have to do certain things in a perfectionist way. And she doesn't live by those rules. So even her podcast, she says, I will do maybe a couple podcasts a month. I'll see how I feel. So she doesn't make herself accountable to us listeners by telling us she's going to release a podcast two times a week or once a week and make sure she sticks to it, even if, you know, hell's breaking loose at home because ultimately all of our podcasts are for free. We're all doing it to give out good content to people because we want to help people because essentially that's what we're here for. We're all coaches in some way or another. And so we hope that you do get some benefit from listening to this. And I really think that you're going to get benefit from listening to Sarah Vance. And if you listen to the end, you'll hear where you can hear more of her. And you can follow her on Twitter and Facebook and everything else. So Sarah Vance is a body image badass. And, oh, I didn't sound too bad that way. But when I normally say it, it sounds like bad ass. Badass? <laughs> I am a true badass, that is for sure. It just doesn't sound the same. <laughs> so good morning, Sarah Vance, and welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Good. Doing is, well. So firstly, congratulations on your podcast. Thank you. That's one thing, actually, I was thinking about when I heard you. I've listened to your podcast. I only just stumbled across it as I was just searching for other interviews that you may have been in and then found yours. And then even on it, you say that um, you will just do a podcast maybe twice a month or you'll see how it goes. And I thought that's so good that you say that because you, you are exactly living by what you say. Like There are no rules and yeah. you're just going to do it how you feel, which is great. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I remember when I first saw you, I came across your work um, at the beginning of my journey um, and I was looking at a few coaches at the time. But I saw that one video that you had where I think you were with a, a brand of clothing for body positive, all shapes and sizes, fitness wear. And mm -hmm. um, in the video, you're doing your bodybuilding and it shows videos of you looking in the mirror and posing and then on a stage and then in the gym now and feeling really happy and confident in your body and being in a much bigger body than when you were at the beginning. And I just really resonated with you because although other coaches have done the bodybuilding, you just seem to be really living in the words that you were saying and being body positive, meaning you can be in whatever body that you're in and be positive with it. And I find a lot of people try to go through the journey, but then, and including myself at the beginning, secretly still want to stay slim and think yeah. that they can be body positive, but then still control their, their body. So can I just ask you then, how did you get to the point where you made that video? What was your journey leading you up to that place? Yeah, so I mean, that video was probably about a year and a half after I started this journey. So this journey, you know, doesn't happen overnight to like switch your mindset and really change your core beliefs. So it's a lot of hard work. Um, it's by no means easy and it is very messy. It's something that I always say is the messy middle of, you know, undoing all of this thought process behaviors and really the beliefs, the belief system um, in regards to body, food, and the way you decide to move your body is really at the core of these, um, you know, problems that may be popping up with food um, and your body. So it takes a long time for that to happen. So my process in and of itself is that, you know, I was actually a personal trainer in the beginning. Um, and I was honestly, I was just tired. I was tired of 
thinking about food. I was tired of worrying so much. Like I was just exhausted um, mentally and emotionally and physically. Like I was just done. And I knew that I couldn't continue on this path for 10, 15, 20 years from now. It was unsustainable. And if anything, it was going to be, it was already damaging, um, but it was going to be damaging to the point where I would have not able to recover um, physically. Um, And then, you know, as well as mentally and emotionally, you get the deeper you get into this disordered mindset and the longer you're there, it is harder to get out. Um, So I knew that I didn't want to do that. Like I I was, um, you know, I'm a nurse, so I knew that this just was not something I wanted to continue doing. So there were a few like red flags that popped up. And then I eventually, you know, when you first start out on this journey, you, you kind of play, you want the best of both worlds. You want to, just like you said, you want to have freedom, but you don't really want to surrender to allowing your body to just be what it is and truly surrender this idea around control with food and your body um, appearance. You, it is, you just want both worlds in the beginning because you're so used to that old lifestyle and that old belief system. Mm -hmm. So it's really challenging. You know, I really went head first and dove and surrounded myself completely with body positivity um, connected with individuals, totally changed up my social media, changed up, you know, everything that I was doing really, really challenged my thoughts, um, on body size, shape, weight, beauty, food, self-care movement. I mean, you name it. I really had to change and challenge every single thing. I became kind of like a skeptic where I questioned everything. I questioned, you know, whose rule is this? Like, who says that? Is this something that I truly believe in? Is this something that I believe? Is this something that aligns with my value system? Or am I buying into something that really doesn't resonate with me? Um, And and that was really challenging. Can I just stop you there for a second? Yeah. you, You made all those changes, but what happened inside you? What event happened that then made you want to change and not live that lifestyle anymore? Yeah. So, you know, I have a similar background as you and I was, um, had my last national competition for my bikini competition. And, um, you know, I didn't have a period. My hair was falling out. My nails were extremely brittle. I couldn't go out to eat with my, um, boyfriend at the time without having a major anxiety attack over a slice of pizza, Mm -hmm. um, literally an anxiety attack in the restaurant. And it ruined, you know, it, it was just a complete, an utter consumption with body and food. Um, and then, you know, the physical symptoms on top of that, like I knew being a nurse, like not having my period was, there was something wrong with that. Like I'm, I'm a young female. I should be able, I should be having my period. My sleep cycle was completely messed up and I had no energy. Um, I was pounding caffeine all the time because I was just exhausted. My, I was stressing my body to an, an every way point point possible. So I knew something was not okay. And I actually tried to stop this behavior, um, or, you know, stop dieting, but it's, it's hard when you're in it to kind of stop. And you know that from your own journey. Mm -hmm. So, um, I eventually started training and became a personal trainer. Um, and I went to a business conference out in California and, um, you know, I dieted down because we were going to be taking photos and this was, you know, I, I wanted to present myself as this, quote unquote, fit girl and, you know, be the epitome of whatever. And it was when I was still doing fitness modeling. And, um, you know, I walked into the photographer's um, booth or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, I thought like I'd been dieting. I felt relatively good at the time. Like I, I did, I was felt okay in my body, but that was just a false sense of okay. (laughs) Very false. Um, but I had been dieting down to like hardly eating anything and doing two days still, um, in the gym. So I was getting ready to get my photos taken. And he said, you know what, don't worry about your stomach. We'll Photoshop it. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. That statement still to this day kind of stands out to me as being one of those moments that I was like, okay, this has got to change because here I am trying to be a role model to other people. And it was this, it was a facade. It was one big lie. Um, Not only was the lifestyle completely just distorted and disordered, um, but even if I did have those photos, they weren't even real to begin with. So that was a big turning point for me that I was like, this has got to change. Um, not only for myself in the beginning, but, but at that point, 
you know, I was like, this has got to change for other people that are following me that are the young girls that are going to be looking up to me. Um, I can't be this type of role model for other people when I'm over here suffering. So I think it's really easy, um, or really difficult rather to kind of say, well, I'm going to do this for myself. In the beginning, it can be really easy to say, I'm going to do this for other people. Sometimes that motivation can help people, you know, like for instance, you have children sometimes with women that's being like, you know, I don't want my children to live this type of life that I'm having. Mm -hmm. And that can really fuel them to keep moving. And eventually it comes to the point where you go, you know what? No, I am worthy of not dealing with this stuff. Um, so that was really a big turning point for me, for me deciding, you know what? Like I, I can't be doing this anymore. I just can't, I can't buy into it. I can't sell it. It's, um, it's not right. So what was the next stage then? Cause presumably you were a personal trainer at this time. So you must've had clients who were then looking up to you with that body. And that's the transition that I've had to go through and just sort of come clean to everybody and say, look, I've, I've, I'm reeducated now. I know something new and no longer are we going to diet. And I've literally changed everything in front of their eyes. What was that process? Yeah. Like so, um, I only trained women. Um, and that was another big factor for me is because, you know, all these words that I was saying to myself within my head of like, you know, I'm disgusting. I am a failure. I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. All the stuff I would say to myself behind closed doors was now being said to me by other women in my office when we would do our consultation. So that was a really big like aha moment for me that a, I'm not alone. Everybody suffers from this. And B, um, on top of that, like, here I, I'm seeing these amazing human beings that truly just don't see how amazing they are. Um, that we, as women, especially, we don't give ourselves enough credit, and we we buy into this idea of our body being the most important thing about us, um, and you know, beauty being one of the most important things about us. So when I had my clients, you know, initially it was you know selling them the lifestyle that I now actively. Uh, talk against and fight against now diet culture. Um, I was definitely in it. I was selling it. I was participating in it. Um, so I had to do a 360 and, and how I transitioned through that was, you know, talking to them about how they would feel, um, what their body would be able to do, what, what, you know, 10, 15 years from now, what is it that they truly want to achieve? Um, and this was a process that I was still learning myself. So I didn't have all the answers. Um, I was in the beginning stages myself, so I didn't have all the answers. And I was just very honest with them. You know, I had photos of me laying on the beach from my last competition, very, very mentally not okay. Um, the worst that I was and people would comment on that. And I would be very honest and share my story and say, you know what? that might be the body that you see, but what you don't see is all the stuff that was happening underneath it mm -hmm. behind that photo. Um, so I was just very honest with everybody. And when I started transitioning my clients or talking about this, it was a big sigh of relief for not only myself, um, to kind of break that silence because this kind of shame and, um, stigma live on silence. They do. So when you can tell your story, it can become really powerful to, um, kind of break that, in it, in and of itself. And then on top of that, empathy is something that, you know, will further, um, smash sh shame. So it was a sigh of relief for them and, and being like, Oh, okay. Like me giving them permission to just be like, not worry about that stuff and really focus on like, how do you actually want to feel? Um, what do you want to feel in your body? Not what, what do you want it to look like? What do you want to feel? How do you want to feel you know, 10, 15 years from now, what, let's work on something that will actually be something that you can do, like maybe get stronger or more flexible or work on mobility, whatever it may be. So I transitioned in how I would speak to my clients and what I would teach and coach. And did I lose clients? Absolutely. A hundred percent, 110%. But at the same time, it was my business. Um, and I had to stand true to what I truly started to believe in and what I wholeheartedly believe in now. And who helped you along the way? Because you sound like you've done that in such a strong way and also led people right from the very beginning. So did you have somebody helping you or just keeping you accountable? Um, I did not have direct help until further on down into my journey. Um, but I, like I said, there is an amazing support system within the body positive community. Um, it's, their support is out there. 
Um, but on top of that, you know, um, the people that I was surrounding myself with at the time, like I changed my entire friends, you know, because my only friends that I, I had were fellow com- competitors. And the only thing we had in common, of course, was what we were eating and what we were moving, how we were working out. It's the only thing we had in common. It was a very superficial relationship um, for me. And so I started changing. I basically changed my entire life. I changed my job. I, um, you know, ended a relationship and I ended up finding and find, found a relationship that truly loved me for who I was. Um, I changed the way that I was speaking to myself, my actions, and I really started to just change and, and really take into account how do I want to feel? What's going to build me up versus tear me down? So I didn't have help. Um, you know, I had support, but there wasn't somebody that was kind of guiding me. It was really my own work. Um, because a lot of this is, is your own work. Um, coaches are great. I'm a coach obviously, and we do need assistance sometime without a doubt. But as you know, as you know, some of the work, most of the work is behind closed doors. It's, it's you actively going out and doing the stuff that scares you and really getting into your belief system and challenging that for yourself and getting emotional and vulnerable and figuring out. Um, and coaches are really there to help guide you through that and take you to the next level or the deeper level rather to kind of peel back that onion to figure out what is the core issue here because it's never about food and body ever. It's always something deeper than that. Um, so I actually didn't have real help until probably about a year and a half later. And that came from support system that was my friends within the body positive community that now are um, fellow coaches, that it was more just support that would that they would be there. And then I did end up um, going to therapy a little bit later on um, in the journey as well. So before the bodybuilding, though, were you a normal eater? Or did you have some kind of restrictive eating? Because I know for myself, and I talk to people about my journey being 10 years, and actually throughout the 10 years, I only really had two years where I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, maybe three years I actually had one. So the other seven, people think that I had an eating disorder, but I didn't. What I had was, was disordered eating, but it's basically classified as normal. So when I ask you if you ate normal, I mean like the real normal, as opposed to the normal of the fitness world, which we kind of all have the same behaviors and habits and we just assume that it's normal because everybody's doing the same thing. Right. So um, I was a normal, quote unquote, normal eater until um, I graduated college. After college is when I really started to get into this um, health situation, which is, you know, our, our ideas around health have been very misconstrued Um, And we now have disordered eating and um, really messed up relationships with how we decide to move our body in the sense of punishment um, that is now being glorified and normalized. Um, So I started down that route after college um, where I was, you know, kind of overly aware on my body and um, started dieting then. But my actual real deep disordered eating didn't start happening until I switched into bodybuilding. Yeah, it's interesting because um, some people have never eaten normally. So then when they come out the other side and think, what is normal eating? They have nothing to refer back to. Yeah, I mean, that does happen because some people, you know, um, a lot of people will have issues starting as young as nine and 10. Um, depending on their own specific journey, it can go as, as far back as nine to 10 or in their, you know, um, teen years. And, and then we tend to kind of forget about or, or not understand what normal eating is because we've been doing disordered type of behavior or having, you know, this chronic dieting mentality, um, buying into diet culture for such a long time that we kind of forget what it is like to just eat period, (laughs) without, you know, anything else attached to it. And so the next thing that happens for most people is the weight restoration. So obviously when you've been restricting and you start increasing your calories and maybe exercising a bit less, uh, most people put on a bit of weight. How was that part of your journey for you? Yeah, so I mean, everybody's journey is going to be different. You never really, so the idea around 
when you give up dieting, when you stop dieting and allow yourself to just be, is that your body is going to do what it wants to do. It's going to do what it, we, we think we have control over body, but our body, but in reality, we don't at all. Um, even if you do continue dieting, eventually your body is going to fight back and it's going to normalize and you'll start gaining weight. That's an actual statistic. Um, it does not last, or you're going to have to take even more aggressive measures like diet pills, more restriction, whatever it may be to just, you know, continue going down that path of sustaining a certain weight and size. So our bodies are actually super intelligent. They know where they want to be. Um, we just have to allow that to happen. And most of the time, that does include, you know, gaining a little bit of weight when you stop restriction, when you stop, you know, counting and, and in reality, starving your body and beating it to the ground, your body's really going to gain some weight. It happens to some people, but it doesn't happen to everybody. So you really don't know what's going to happen. But how you truly get through that is changing your belief system around what that means. Like, what does it mean if you gain weight? What does that actually mean to you? What's the fear behind that? That's the stuff that you have to really challenge and get down to. Because in reality, if if it was just you in this world and your body just did whatever it did, chances are you probably wouldn't care. But we have bought into diet culture um, in the sense that, you know, we have in fat phobia, which is, you know, this fear that fat is the worst thing that could happen to you and that we attach fat to having all these other stuff of, you know, unlovable, not worthy. You can't have success. You're not beautiful, whatever it may be. And it's not like that. Fat is just fat. End of story. Um, I mean, it's more than that because fat people are definitely oppressed and discriminated and there is stigma attached to that. So don't let me say that fat is just fat, but it is not the same as being unworthy, unlovable, whatever it may be. That is not based on size, shape, or weight. So it really gets down to the belief system of what's going on. What, what does that mean to you if you do gain weight? What is it? And that's something that you have to answer for yourself and, and really challenge that idea. Is it that you're fearful of people judging you? Is it fear? Is it that you feel like you're, you failed? And to that, it's like, well, if somebody judges you, that's their own issue and you have no control over that. Um, and then failed what? Like, what exactly are you failing? Because if anything, you're actually succeeding and honoring yourself to the best of your ability. Um, so it's about challenging what you have the narrative that you're telling yourself in your head in regards to weight gain. <clears throat> and how do people respond to you as your body started to change? Well, so that's the other thing. You think that people are going to, you know, say all this stuff and it really didn't happen. Like the people that I surrounded myself with, um, and I, I was very honest with my, my story, they didn't care. And we think that when we start gaining weight, that it's just going to be like within a day that our body is going to massively change. And it doesn't happen like that. It's a gradual thing that happens. Um, if it does happen and nobody really said anything to me and the people that did say something to me, I didn't value their opinion. I didn't care. Um, that doesn't mean that it didn't hurt because it did, but when it got down to it, I was able to work through that and have that support system behind me to help me through those emotions that I was dealing with. Um, so nothing really happened when I gained weight, nothing bad happened. If anything, everything that I've always wanted did happen. I started to have a relationship. I started to have a life. I started experiencing what life had to offer me. My anxiety and stress went completely um, away almost besides normal stress and anxiety, but not this overly obsessive consumed thing of anxiety and stress. Um, I was able to just be and live my life. So all this fear that we have attached to weight gain, you know, that weight gain may be the key to unlocking what you truly, truly desire, uh, that you think is going to be at the end of this goal weight or this goal body. So, um, yeah, nothing really happened. And the people that did say anything, you know, did it sting in the beginning? Sure, because I was working through my own issues of kind of changing that narrative and the story that I was telling myself in regards to my body. So, but with that, I had a massive, really good support system that um, helped me through those moments. Um, can I ask you about your parents? Because I've heard before on other podcasts, you said that they or one of them was a bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. So how did yeah, they so feel my, about you? So doing... my mom and dad were both bodybuilders. Yep. And how did they feel about you changing your career to be complete opposite of what they were doing? 
Yeah, so my mom and dad were bodybuilders back in the 80s. So they stopped doing that. I think my dad last competed in the 90s or something. So they had not competed in a long time. And, and you know, they age, their body changes. That's a normal thing. Um, so they didn't really have an opinion on it. You know, they were more concerned with anything else going on in my life. Um, you know, they live states away from me. So they were more concerned with other stuff. And in reality, my family and my parents especially just want me to be happy. So whatever it is for me to be happy they were in full support of. And once I really shared my story with them, which actually was the hardest out of everybody, it was very easy for me to tell my story to general public. It was very challenging for me to share my story with my family um, because it's your family. And you, you, um, for me, I, I didn't want to hurt them because I knew that they loved me. Yeah. But with that, um, you know, they came with, they, they had their arms open, you know, they were, on my team, they were my support system. And they said, you know, I'm sorry if we contributed to any of these issues. Um, and it wasn't just them, you know, like you can't just blame one particular thing. It's a lot of stuff that happens. Our society is messed up when it comes to our fat phobic diet obsessed society. Um, yes, we do have issues that are in relation to our family, friends, and the people we surround ourselves with, that is where our body image, some of it does come from. But it's a, it's a collective things that all comes from where we are. Um, so it was, you know, they, they just wanted me to be happy. And now that I am where I am today, they really don't have anything to say to it. You know, like it, me bodybuilding was all part of my own story and what got me to where I am today. Um, so it's not something that I ever regret and I hold no grudge or blame to my parents whatsoever. Um, and it was just about communicating with them, you know, letting them know that I forgive them and, um, that they didn't really didn't do anything in general, that this wasn't their fault because that's of course how they felt. Mm -hmm. So lots of people go through bodybuilding and then decide that they don't want to be so aesthetically driven anymore with their bodies because um, whether they're disordered or not with their eating or whatever, um, they realize that just being aesthetically driven is not maybe the best thing. And so they move from bodybuilding to weightlifting and then talk about being body positive and lifting weights and how strong you can be in your body. And I know for myself as well, I, having that period where you kind of lose your identity because everything about you becomes the bodybuilder. Um, obviously you look that way so people talk to you that way and then it just becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, when you then lose that identity and you don't have anything left, for me as well, I then look to other people and say, well, what can I do now? Should I do weightlifting? Should I do pole dancing? Should I do this out of the other? And I know that you also went into um, powerlifting. Mm -hmm. And then I was surprised to hear you, I don't know if it was on your podcast or on somebody else's, to say that you've now given that up. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that change from aesthetics to athletics and then now your new realization of not doing it anymore? If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that when, um, it was kind of a stepping stone for me, right. Um, to loosen up and where I, it all was part of this big process. So the initial thing was for me to go from aesthetics to what my body can do. But even when I started powerlifting, I still was doing that same mentality of perfection, black and white, all or nothing, very hard on myself, but it was just a little bit different. So it was no longer about what I looked like. It was about how much was I lifting. Um, and it's still, I was doing things that were unkind. So I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't, um, moving my body intuitively, um, you know, in the sense of listening when I needed to rest or, you know, doing a little bit more when I felt like it, or maybe not doing, you know, weightlifting and, and going for a walk instead, whatever it may be when it reference to moving your body, because there's a million ways to move your body. Um, but I had not expanded on that quite yet. So it was a stepping stone for me. I mean, I do not regret one, one minute going into powerlifting because powerlifting is very diverse. There are people of all shapes, sizes, weights, age, ability, um, you name it. They, everybody, there are so many people that powerlift. I mean, you would be surprised the 
amount of diversity. So that was really positive for me in the beginning stages of my journey to kind of see that. On top of that, it allowed me to have a better appreciation for my body in reference to what it can do versus what it just can look like. But then I was placing my worth on how much weight I was lifting. So that didn't really get down to the core issue of knowing my worth inherently and not having it be on conditions, outward conditions, like truly knowing that who I am as a human being, me, myself, um, is enough. So I had to go through this process. You know, I competed twice and the first one was very perfectionist driven, driven mentality. I was very hard on myself and it totally stole any joy that I could have experienced within that meet. The second time, you know, I listened to the reins a little bit more. And then by the time I competed the second time, I was like, yeah, I'm over this. Like, I don't, you know, it's not something that's bringing me joy to my life. And that's the one, the biggest question that I have to keep that I think we all need to ask ourselves, is this something that we really enjoy? Why are we doing this? What is the reason behind doing this? If you enjoy it, great, like rock on, do it. Great. Um, if your mentality is staying, you know, strong, good. I'm all for it. But for me, it wasn't something that I enjoyed. And I think it's okay. We don't allow ourselves to allow things to like have a present in a specific moment and then let it go. Like things are going to flow through our life. For instance, how many of us are best friends with our very first best friend when we were in kindergarten? Hardly, hardly any of us. You know, things play a certain time in our life and then it's okay to let them go. So that's how it was for powerlifting for me. I just realized, you know what? I enjoy lifting weights. Um, but I don't need to do it at the extreme level that I was. I don't, it wasn't enjoyable for me. If anything, it was making me sore and, um, I didn't need it to feel like I was a worthy human being anymore because I knew that it was just who I am is worthy. Um, so it was a stepping stone to get me to where I am today. So now how I move is really just dependent on how I feel. It changes on a day-to-day basis. It isn't contingent on anything besides, this is what I feel like doing, or this is what I don't feel like doing. And that changes. It really isn't a matter of what's going to bring joy to my life. So now I'm actually going to start looking at hip hop dancing. So, um, so it really is, it's one of those things of, of putting fun back into fitness, if you will, um, or enjoying that back into movement, because in reality, that's really where it started. Think of children. How do they move their body? They don't think, Oh, I'm going to go lift weights or whatever. They go out and play, they chase each other, they kick the ball around, you know, they, they go out and swim, um, whatever it may be. So that's kind of what it is, is just like moving how you feel. And we have this idea that you have to be in the gym in order to have something be healthful behavior, which is totally false, of course. And it is obviously that environment as well is very hard not to, like, I'm, I was just thinking there as you were talking that if I do something like that, I might feel like I really like it. And a lot of people probably say they really like that environment too. But then as you're saying, maybe you like it for the time, or maybe you're not really liking the activity, but you're liking the praise that you get from it. So if you do do really well and you compete and people look up to you, then you're still having that um, praise from other people and you're, you're needing that to sort of feed you. So yep. it's still the same thing really, just in another environment. Right. It's the same thing as considering... You know, a lot of people will say, well, I'm not dieting, I'm eating healthy. Um, in reality, it, it's still it's still a diet if you're overly thinking about your food and you're eating off of, you're restricting yourself, even if it is in the name of health. It's a mute point. There is no point to do that. You can eat healthy without a diet. Um, if something is, is, if health is something that you value. And of course, health is not dependent on um, worthiness either, like being participating in healthful behaviors does not mean that you are more worthy than somebody that chooses not to. That is an individual choice. And it also is a privilege because not everybody has the um, power to do that, whether it be financially, capability, educational wise, whatever it may be. So this idea of, you know, saying, well, I'm not dieting, I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy is still a load of crap um, to me. I mean, you can make healthful choices that honor your body if that is something you truly desire without having it be wrapped up into the diet cycle. So yeah. what happens is then people, you know, still have that shame and guilt. It's just traded and looks a little bit different, um, but it's still underlying the same crap. So how do you define diet? So, I mean, there's, when you think of diet, that is just what you eat. I mean, that is your diet is, is what you eat. But when I say diet, of course, it is in reference to a restrictive eating, um, in 
manipulation and desire to manipulate your body. Um, especially so diet culture, especially, which is saying that, you know, once you look a certain way, or if you eat a certain way, then you are going to be a more healthy, um, sorry, not healthy. You're going to be a more worthy human being. Um, and then it perpetuates into this, um, fat phobic culture that we live in that if you lose weight, then now you are able to be lovable and successful and happy and competent and X, Y, Z, which isn't the case. Mm -hmm. So when I speak of diets, it is restrictive eating, um, especially in a way to manipulate your body's natural, um, shape that it wants to be in. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant answer, actually, because when I've spoken to people about dieting before and they've asked me, well, what do you mean by that? And then I think, well, the de definition really is like a reduction of calories. And so then people say, well, I'm not on a diet then because I'm eating so much and I'm eating five meals a day. And then you think, well, you're still you're restricting in some way or another. And even if your calories are quite high, you're probably over exercising. So you're still having that calorie deficit in some way or another. So it's a really nice answer. Yeah, I mean, I... <sighs> It obviously there is, you know, calories and macronutrients and whatever it may be that are wrapped up into dieting. But I think it comes down to a way that you eat that is buying into diet culture, especially in reference to manipulation of what your body actually looks like when it wants to just be your normal body without trying to control it. And, and of course, there's shame and guilt associated with all of that plays oh, yes. into it. Talking of shame and guilt, can we talk about good and bad? So a lot of people talk about food as in there's good food and there's bad food. And I know you helped me with this one a lot myself. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So that narrative, good and bad food is extremely toxic to us because it just plays into this um, idea around morality with food choices. And food is not a moral issue. Food is morally neutral. So um, if you eat a salad, but you go out and kill somebody that doesn't make you a good person. You're a bad person because you killed somebody. So that's what happens um, cognitively in our mind is that we say, well, oh, I, I ate something good. So what we're saying to ourselves is now I'm a good person. Now I've, I've done something good. Um, and in reality, food is not good nor bad. Food is just food. So, and especially because what we're often talking about when we say good versus bad is the nutritional value around food. So it's usually Usually um, sugar we say is bad or carbohydrates or whatever it may be, but we can blow that up even more because that is super, super subjective. What one con considers to be um, bad might not be the same for another individual, but even on top of that though, like food isn't good or bad. It's just food. End of story. It, that is just what it is. Um, so what we're really looking at here is the nutritional content behind it and the morality attached to it, which plays into that orthorexia situation. And that, that plays into the guilt and shame because then when you say, well, I've, I've, you know, I ate something bad, then you feel bad. You feel like you've done something wrong. You feel like you, that's where guilt and shame come from. You feel like you've done something wrong. So the action of guilt, that would be guilt. And then you feel like a wrong person, a bad human being that is shame. So that's how that plays into that. So if we can normalize and neutralize food where we see it, where it's just food is food, we can really stop, um, you know, having guilt and shame be into our relationship with food. And of course, there's multiple other things as to why shame and guilt would be present with your eating habits um, or behaviors or thought process. But that specifically good versus bad is extremely toxic to individuals. And I think I was just thinking there as you were explaining about the food that it goes directly hand in hand with the exercise as well. And obviously people feel that they're doing a good thing when they exercise because exercise is healthy, that when you have the bad food and you feel bad, you then think, well, I have to kind of go up, make it good by exercising and doing that healthy behavior. Yeah. So that's when exercise just becomes a punishment activity mm -hmm. or um, a binging activity. I mean, that, that is when you think of it, that is getting rid of excess. Um, I'm sorry, a purging activity, not binging activity. That is getting rid of excess calories of what you think in your mind is excess calories. That is your undoing behavior of saying, well, I've been bad. So I have to punish myself and undo this, what I've just done. And that is deeply rooted in fat phobic beliefs. 
That is what that is. That's deeply rooted in fat phobic beliefs because when it comes down to it, the fear around it is, oh my gosh, I'm going to gain weight. Um, and then the shame and, and guilt associated with that. But really at the base of many issues when it comes to food and body is if you're having a restrictive diet, a poor body acceptance. So you are believing and buying into fat phobic beliefs and culture. Um, and then on top of that, if you don't know how to properly deal with your emotions. And I wonder how many people are just living in that, um, that life really, because I, I had non-purging bulimia which is what they called it basically i use exercise instead of making myself vomit for overeating and binging and um there are a lot of people out there doing that and that's considered normal as i was saying the type of normal people that you might find in the gym who talk a lot about i'm exercising off x food or i'm going to work out before i go to the restaurant and it's all food related the exercise so i wonder Mm -hmm. how many people fit in that seemingly normal but it's quite disordered because then when do you draw the line or or rather the dcm is it called the book where they then say right you now have bulimia yeah so i mean when it the thing about it is and the problem is especially with the fitness health and fitness culture is that a lot of these behaviors have become normalized and glorified for instance cheat meals that's just another name for binging um when you really look at it that's excess that's what you're imagining you're you're breaking the reins you're allowing yourself to have food that you typically wouldn't or an an amount of food that you typically wouldn't um and then what happens is many people just feel bad about it because that's that's the whole disordered mindset around um food and body and within this health and fitness culture um and the same thing with punishing yourself in the gym that is very very normalized you hear it all the time i mean it's think about with holidays with christmas coming around you know you you see all this stuff where it's like one candy bar equates to this like who the hell cares like eat the damn candy bar did you enjoy it great move on with your life exercise is not about morality it's not about punishing yourself and by no means Um, do you have to exercise because you ate something? And also on the flip side of that, because you exercise does not give you permission to eat something. So that's the other thing where people say, well, you know what? I exercised today, so I'm going to go have pizza. That's still a disordered mindset. You can have pizza anytime you want, regardless if you moved your body or not. Hmm. That's interesting. And, um, talking of exercise, I find exercise, particularly CrossFit, and you know this about me that um, because it's so, such a competitive environment and I kind of thrive on it. I'm like a, a drug addict who's surrounded by drugs. And once I get a little bit of it, I get so happy. I get those endorphins and then I, I want to compete and I want to do more. And I'm, I'm in that mindset of proving my fitness and it's just really unhealthy for me. So I just can't go there anymore. Um, what kind of triggers have you come across with your clients and people around you and also yourself? Yeah, so I don't really have any triggers myself anymore. I've worked through all of those because when it comes down to it, that's the getting behind the narrative and the core beliefs and and challenging that. And I think um, the further that we go through this work, the less and less things become um, triggering to us. That doesn't mean that they completely go away. It's just you learn how to work through them. They're not going to you know, trigger you to the point where it's going to send you into that spiral of going through that behavior that is really not um, good for you. So with there's, there's many things that pop up in reference to, you know, people that I work with, whether it be comparison, um, whether it be judgment, there's, there's many things. Everybody is, is extremely, extremely different, but it still comes down to what is it that you're trying to prove? Like what is the base of this situation? Um, because if you go into it with the mindset of, I have nothing to prove, period, then you can just do what you want and not feel the need to push past, you know, what your body is actually telling you. You can honor your body in a more compassionate and kind manner. Um, so it really is dependent on those on each individual's story about where this stuff kind of is showing up in their lives. But comparison is a big thing. Judgment is obviously a big thing. And then this overwhelming fear of failure is often a big thing as well. And do you think, because a lot of these things you're talking about, everyday normal people have who haven't had disorders. Do you think then, because I sometimes think that I'm actually the privileged one because I've had lots of issues in my life that I then work through them and then I then have tools to cope with normal stuff. 
Whereas people who haven't had anything happen to them or any kind of disorders, they just kind of float through life, but then they have normal life happen to them and don't have any tools to deal with them. Yeah, I mean, so coping mechanisms is something that we learn and we, we um, learn it through learned behavior and we also learn it through experiences in our life. So it really is a matter of how we are coping with things. Um, so if we're coping with it through dieting, so that dieting is actually a coping mechanism that a lot of people go through. They don't know how to deal with emotions, so they diet. Um, that is That is something that is popping up more and more frequently, um, within diet culture, I think is that what we're seeing is people don't know how to cope with stuff life. And so that we run to diets because we think that diets is what's going to allow us to gain that false sense of control again and make everything picture perfect. Um, so when it comes to coping mechanisms, it's different. It's normal to have coping mechanisms in your life. That's a really normal, normal thing. We need that because we all have to get up. We all have to, you know, go to work, take care of the kids, whatever it may be. So we need coping mechanisms in our life. But that's a learned behavior that people will establish either through how they were raised, what they see, or through their own experiences and what actually helps them or, or hurts them too. I mean, sometimes coping mechanisms can be hurtful, obviously. And can we talk a little bit about photographs? Because kind of a little bit on the, the trigger question as well, because I haven't managed to look back at any pictures yet. And I'm coming up to like a milestone, my 10 year anniversary with my husband. And I think, do we look back at all of our pictures or do we not? And I think something like that is going to be quite difficult seeing my body differently in all the pictures. Yeah, yeah it still comes back to the the story that you're telling yourself. I mean, if you go into it with the eye of saying, I look better then and, and I'm thinner then and equating that to you being better at that time in your life, then that's a narrative that we have to kind of maybe the belief system under there is that we're still a little bit um, fearful of this weight gain, or we have some still fat phobic beliefs within us that we haven't allowed ourselves to just realize that who we are is enough and understanding that your body changes. Like no one's going to look the same throughout their entire life. Our body is by no means linear. Um, when you're 80 years old, you're going to be able to look through all these pictures and see that, you know what, you change. And that's a normal human thing to happen. Your body is going to change. That is, that is inevitable. And that is something that you absolutely hundred percent cannot control. You cannot control that your body's going to change. Um, so when you look at something like pictures and if you have, you know, negative thoughts popping up in your head, that inner critic, the inner <coughs> mean girl, it's about becoming very curious about it and saying, okay, like what's going on here? Like what is behind this? What is really the issue? Because it's not about your body. It's not the fact that it changed. It's something deeper than that and about becoming curious. And then you know, flexing that compassion muscle and being like, you know what? Yeah. You know what? Your body did change, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, I'm still a human being. I'm still lovable. And you know what? I changed as a human being because 10 years, you know, in the past, I'm sure you're not the same woman that you are today. Um, inside who you are, we grow, we grow physically in our body and we grow as human beings. So it's, it's a matter of becoming curious. Curiosity is such a big thing. Um, and this whole journey about, you know, not coming from a place of criticism and judgment, but becoming curious and saying, okay, what's going on? Like, what is the story that I'm telling myself here? And then seeing what's behind that. And I think at the same time as well, there's, I know a lot of people struggle with looking at pictures of themselves today when they are on the journey and their body is changing. And I remember my first holiday and I spoke to you afterwards that I had a picture and I was um horrified by the way I looked in the picture and you were saying well look at, at the picture in terms of what you're doing on that day you know are you happy you're playing with your daughter what activities are you looking at in that picture as a memory rather than what you look like as a body because you are more than your body which is something yeah, so that I mean when you take when you think of photos photos are not there to capture what our body looks like they're really to capture the moment in time right like that's why we actually take pictures because we want to capture what's going on in this moment 
Um, so when you were looking at photos like that, that is something that we can say is what, what was like in this photo? Like, remember how you felt in that time? Like, what did you, how did that feel like playing with your kids in the water or, you know, getting married on your wedding day? Like, how did you actually feel? What was the experience like versus, you know, coming into it with a critical, uh, judgmental eye and being like, Oh, look at my body. Cause that's not what photos are for. And on top of that, we are so used to seeing ourselves. Um, it's actually called the mirror image effect, I believe is what it's called, where we're used to seeing ourselves in a mirror. We're not used to seeing ourselves in a picture. Like our friends would actually see us. That's how they see us all the time. So we're actually, um, mentally, we're not used to seeing ourselves in photos. So one of the things, and actually there is a woman that, um, is amazing. She, she actually uses selfies as, you know, um, a way of learning to cultivate self-love and acceptance. Her name is Vivian McMaster. And, um, she is amazing when it comes to talking about photos and how to have a more compassionate and loving, um, I, when it comes to looking at photos of yourself and using ph photography, um, specifically selfies or, you know, photos, whatever it may be to help you on your journey towards, um, acceptance. So she's an amazing woman. She does a lot of work around that, but one of the things would be taking more photos of yourself and, um, you know, getting used to it, um, doing the things that make you uncomfortable. And eventually that kind of that sting becomes less and less and less, and then approaching it with some compassion for yourself and realizing, yeah, that is me. Like, this is an amazing experience. I had so much fun and, um, it was with people that I loved. It was in a place that I loved, whatever it may be. And you mentioned before a little bit about black and white thinking, and you often put these in your Instagram pictures. Can you mm -hmm. explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking is when we, um, have this duality of thinking. So if it's not one thing, it's the complete opposite spectrum. So it, for instance, it's, if it's not good, then it's bad. If it's not healthy, then it's unhealthy. If I don't go all the way, if I don't work out, then I'm going to be completely lazy. So that's black and white thinking when in reality, that's not where life happens. That's perfection driven mentality is black and white thinking. They feed off of each other. And so the way to kind of do that is to question, well, you know what? So if, if, is that really true? Like, is it really the complete opposite? Like if you don't love someone, do you completely hate them? No, probably not. Not always at least, because if you don't hate someone, are you completely in love with them? No, do you just, they're just there. It's just, you know, this middle ground. So there's a lot of gray in life and this is where actual reality sits. So if we're, if we're perfectionist and we have all or nothing or black and white thinking, it's going to, um, you know, really hinder us from moving through life and, um, being gentle and compassionate with ourselves because those are, are just impractical. And talking of compassion, and you mentioned this a lot, how can we be compassionate with ourselves? So it starts by, um, compassion is, is it such a big, big component. It's a big component to self-esteem as well. So one thing is if we can start to learn to be compassionate towards other people, it's going to help us be compassionate, more compassionate towards ourselves. And then also like coming to a place of just love, like keeping self-love really high. And one question that we can start asking ourselves is how would I speak or what would be the advice that I would give somebody that I love in this specific situation? What would I say to them? Because we can often, if we're not used to giving compassion to ourselves, we're usually really good at giving it to other people. It's just that we don't do it to ourselves. So if we can go through that mentality of saying, would I say this to my child? Would I say this to my best friend? If the answer is no, and then saying, well, what would I say to them? That can be learning to kind of have that compassionate voice be within you and reflecting it back onto yourself. Because compassion is something that you have to build. It isn't just something that is there or not. It's something that it's a practice. And it, it's a habit that we have to form to kind of continuously build up. It's like a it's like a muscle. If you work it out, it's going to grow. It's the same thing with compassion. We have to continuously work that muscle out to have it be something that is present in our life all the time. And then a good question as well is asking, you know, when you are older and you are on your deathbed, what is it that that woman would say to you right now? What is it that she wants you to know? Because chances are she's going to not give a crap about a lot of the stuff that we fret about. And she's going to be able to talk to you in a more wiser, compassionate, 
respectful, loving way. And that truly is the voice that we all have within us. The compassionate, loving um, side lives within all of us. It's just buried under this inner critic that is in the forefront of our mind all the time. So it's a matter of allowing that voice, who we really are, come out and be alive and allowing it to be for ourselves, not just for other people. And you talk about the inner critic and you mention inner mean girl a lot in your coaching. I call mine the inner mean bitch. <laughs> and um, what, why do we all have that and how can we quiet her down? Yeah, so, you know, your inner critic shows up in um, everybody. Everybody has it. Everybody's going to have it for the rest of their lives. It's never just going to go away. It is that voice of self-doubt. It is that voice that tells you you're not good enough. It's that voice that perpetuates this game, um, shame and guilt cycle when it comes to our body and food. Um, so it is there. But the thing about the inner critic is we oftentimes want to say, well, she's a bitch and I'll tell her to shut the hell up and she needs a go away. And it doesn't work that often, right? Like that, that's, we can tell her to shut the hell up, but then she's going to show up again. And chances are, she's going to show up even more powerful. Um, that voice will. So the reality of the situation is that, you know, our inner critic is there to protect us. That's why it's there. It's, it's there to keep us safe. And so when we know that, when we really know that information, when it pops up, we can become curious again and say, what is it that you're trying to keep me safe from? Like, what is it? What is the fear here? What, what is it that you're protecting me from? And then when we can look at it through that way, then we can start talking to it in a more compassionate manner because what it really needs to be dealt with is compassion versus hate and understanding and realizing, you know what? I, I understand that you're fearful right now that if I gain weight, that people are going to judge me and um, that might hurt my feelings, but you know what? It's okay. I think that I think that I can handle my feelings to be heard. I have a really good support system. That's going to get you way further than, you know what? Shut the hell up and go away um, because that's not really dealing with the underlying issue of what's really going on there when that inner critic pops up. So your inner critic is a, actually a really beautiful, beautiful thing because when it pops up, if you become curious, you can start to realize what is it? Like, what is the fear here? If you approach it with curiosity and then you can work through that with compassion and move through it versus being paralyzed by that voice. It's funny though, cause that works with a lot of other things as well. And even in business, I do this myself where I have like an inner mean critic where I procrastinate about something. So it may be, um, I have a phone call to make and I'm really nervous about making that phone call. So suddenly the washing up looks really attractive <laughs> and then you just start doing all these other things around the house and then you have to kind of question yourself think why am I doing all these things it's because I'm avoiding making that phone call and you just have to make the phone call that's when you know that you're getting out of your comfort zone isn't it and you have to just do yeah. that thing because that's where the magic happens yeah so I mean that's the thing about the inner critic is oftentimes it's a it's <clears throat> something that we don't necessarily enjoy having um, but I actually kind of like when mine pops up now, I've, I've become to, I fully accept it because it is when it, you are stepping out of your comfort zone, that's when you're going to see it come up the most. So in those moments when it pops up, it's like, okay, this is going to make me go through my comfort zone. And on the other side of that is some really amazing things that could happen to us. It's growth. Um, we may be, if it's vulnerability, there's love and vulnerability, um, you know, there's all sorts of amazing things when we step outside of our comfort zone. So when it pops up, it's kind of that moment of like, okay, you know what? I'm on the verge of, of the possibility of something really amazing happening. But what it sees is I want to protect you. I want to keep you safe. I want to keep you in this little box um, because I'm fearful of what else may happen. It always thinks in very negative terms. It doesn't think of positive things, right? But that's, again, it's black and white. It doesn't, it's not always, it's always not the worst case scenario, which is oftentimes what, what happens and happens and pops up in our head. That's not the reality of the situation. We're not future tellers. Um, and we're not mind readers. <laughs> so talking of the amazing things that can happen. And I know Kyla Prince talks about this part of your life being discovery where mm -hmm. you, you lose that, um, where you move past recovery and into who am I now and what can I do, which is the exciting bit. But how do you, move on and find out all of these things about yourself when you get to that crossroad and feel a bit lost. Yeah. So, I mean, 
you, you approach it with curiosity. Again, curiosity is something that is so important within this entire journey. So, so you go out and play, you become a kid again. Like you, you try stuff and you'd be like, did I like this? Or did I, did I hate it? Did I, did I enjoy it? Or was it just like, whatever, would I go do it again? Or is it something that I really, really enjoy? And it is, you know, that, that stepping outside of your comfort zone, trying new stuff, being curious about what is something that you always said you wanted to do, that you always wanted to try, that you've been limiting yourself and saying, well, I'll do it once I reach a certain size. Um, or, you know, saying I don't have time, but it's in, in reality, you've been filling that time up with, you know, obsessive working out or counting your calories, whatever it may be. What are some of those things that you actually want to do? Um, and then, and then going out and doing them. So it's one thing to think about it, but the other step is to actually go out and do it. And you don't have to love everything that you do. You don't have to even like everything that you do. You can be like, Oh no, I was not a fan of that. And that's okay. Try something else. You never know what is, where your path is going to take you and what you may really enjoy. Um, one of the things that, you know, is very common, um, something that I actually, totally love is fishing. And if I didn't, you know, try it, I would have never realized it. The other thing just recently is that I actually really enjoy cooking. Um, but unless I would have allowed myself to like experiment and try and be curious about, you know, being in the kitchen, um, then I would have never known that. So it is a matter of just becoming curious and figuring out like, what is it that like, who am I outside of all of this crap that I used to identify myself with? Who am I? Um, and, and coming from a place of curiosity, like a child would. It's interesting you say that. And I remember being a teenager, just thinking, I feel lost, like I'm at a crossroads. What do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Where do I want to go? And you just feel so lost. So I guess it's just coming back to that and then trying something. And then if it doesn't work, try something else. There are no rules. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So in your description, what is body positivity to you? (coughs) Oh, body positivity. So body positivity is when we really have acceptance of who we are and we are moving and showing up in this world. What I mean by moving is we are showing up in this world as our most authentic self and not allowing our body, our physical appearance hinder us from going out and living our lives. Because when we think about body positivity, it isn't just about weight, size, and shape. It truly is. Um, it, it, it goes through all different things, age, weight, shape, race, gender preference, sexual orientation, ability. It goes through all of these things and body positivity. The roots of body positivity are actually, um, in really, um, crushing oppression around different groups, for instance, fat people, um, you know, LGBTQ people, people that identify as a different type of gender, people that are disabled, different races. So it really is on the basis what body positivity came from um, women of color and fat activists. So that's the roots of it. So we have to make sure that when we're saying body positivity, that we're actually and being truly, truly inclusive. So it's not just about including um your specific body after you find freedom around food. It's about truly having everybody be enough and allowing them to show up in this world as who they are. Um, So that means talking out and against fat phobia, which is extremely oppressive, talking out and against, you know, um, all the different oppressive things that we have when it comes to transgenders or blacks or, you know, Islamics, whatever it may be, a disability. So it really is on the basis of allowing yourself to just be who you are and having that be enough. And your body just becomes your body. That's it. it you don't really think about it that much because who you are is more than that. You're, you, you have more depth than just your physical appearance. It's really interesting because on my journey and I think the life that I lived was so narrow-minded and so blinkered like the horses with blinkers on that I could only see my road and where I was going and it was all about me 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 and since discovering body positivity has opened up my eyes to so many things and, and obviously when you said to me as well first read health at every size and I then learned about 
people who were fatter than me and when I used to consider myself fat or getting fat and then I really understand what it is to say that and I, I've offended some people online where I've called myself fat and they would consider me a thin person and I understand that I am a socially accepted thin person because I have that privilege where mm -hmm. other people don't and it just makes you see life from other people's shoes which I never would have done before so yeah really so I mean when it comes to body positivity it's about allowing those individuals just be who they truly want to be and having that be enough so it's a it's about you know not oppressing them and and saying you know well how dare you or whatever it may be I mean because there is so much stigma and oppression especially with transgender lesbian gay queer bisexual whatever it may be yeah and um and then lastly body diversity can you talk to us about that what is body diversity what does that mean so body diversity is just being cognizant and aware that like there's not one body type in this world. Like open your eyes and look around and embrace the diverse world we live in. So again, not only just with size and shape, but everything. Nobody, there is no one specific body. There is variety around us. And that is body diversity. And on top of that, when it comes to our specific journey, allowing and understanding that our bodies all are different and what your body looks like when it comes to its natural, normal, quote unquote, body, when we totally have surrendered to this idea of diet culture, when we allow ourselves to just be there's diversity there. And that's what's really missing because we've only been fed about 5% in the media of what bodies actually look like. Meanwhile, we have like 95% of us actually exist out in the world, uh, we, but we only see about 5%. So body diversity is a huge thing if you are trying to start your own journey in body positivity, because that is going to allow you to actually see different bodies, bodies like yours, bodies that are different than yours, bodies bigger than yours, bodies completely the opposite of yours. Um, and not only that, but diversity in the sense of our belief system, um, what, you know, whether it becomes religion or whatever experiences, stories, there is so much diversity out there. And it really is actually beautiful if we can take a moment, step back and actually look at it and take it all in. Brilliant answer. <laughs> And is there anything that you want to leave us with? Yeah. So, you know, feel free that to follow me. I'm on social media at all the things on at Sarah Vance. And you can also look me up on my website at saravance.com and download my free guide to start your own journey towards body acceptance and food freedom. There's a free gift there with five steps that are really the basic essentials to kind of amplifying this journey so you can keep going. And then, you, of course, you'll get all the good, juicy stuff on my blog. You can always find that there as well. So thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. Thank you, my friend. So happy to talk to you again. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, fustalfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at fustalfit.co.uk.